Our greatest living playwright, Carol Churchill, in one of her masterpieces, Top Girls, imagines a dinner party with some of the most famous women from history and fiction. Isabella Bird, the explorer, Dull Gret, a mythical woman who led an assault on hell, Lady Niho, a Buddhist nun, Patient Griselda from the Canterbury Tales, and Pope Joan, the probably mythical woman who became Pope by disguising herself as a man. Someone we might recognize as a transmasculine person these days, but it's as likely Joe never existed. It's even harder to speculate than usual. Called John Anglicus, the story is widely considered fictional by now, but the legend goes. She disguised herself as a man at the behest of her husband or lover. She was pregnant, likely without realizing it, and during a papal procession, when mounting a horse, gave birth. Obviously, this gave her away. And as Jean de Mailly wrote some 400 years later... Immediately, by Roman justice, she was bound by the feet to a horse's tail and dragged and stoned by the people for half a league. And where she died, there she was buried. And at the place is written, O Peter, father of fathers, betray the childbearing of the woman pope. At the same time, the four-day fast, called the fast of the female pope, was first established. Apparently, this point in the processional route, once called the Sacred Way and later called the Shunned Street, was avoided in the future, and as the Vatican was embarrassed, struck all mention of Anglicus from the historical record, and the story faded into legend. Some versions of the story say she was simply imprisoned and lived a life of penitence, the son growing up to be a bishop himself. The more violent, upsetting version of events is what's present in Top Girls, so that's the one I'm familiar with. But of course, I hope that if it did happen, she lived a long life. Because while the historical evidence of Joan slash Anglicus is scant at best, the idea of it is certainly based in fact. This is Our Sacred History, a podcast about the forgotten stories of transgender people, a part of the Totally Trans Network. I'm Katie Coleman, and this is the story of the trans mask saints of the Catholic Church. Deuteronomy 22.5 The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now this is part of the ancient law books of the Old Testament, one of the truly tough reads in the Bible, which just reads like a grocery list of shall nots and stonings to death, etc., etc., This is also where the Bible tells us that we must not weave two different fabrics together or touch the skin of a pig. And while there are many modern theologians who can explain these things as mistranslations or modern misunderstandings, I'm not here to debate the Bible. That would be a whole new podcast, and honestly, I wouldn't even want to listen to that, let alone make it. My point is that for a large portion of Catholic Church history, this verse was taken exactly as written. Cross-dressing was a major part of many pagan rites and was likely the impetus for the law. In 691 CE, the Council of Constantinople decreed, We forbid dances and initiation rites of the gods, an ancient custom contrary to the Christian way of life, and we decree that no man shall put on a woman's dress nor a woman clothes that belong to a man. They certainly seemed to be serious about it. The great Leslie Feinberg estimated in their book, Transgender Warriors, that between 20 and 25 AFAB people who cross-dressed, had full beards, or lived as men, became saints, which is basically the MTV Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award for Catholics. While there are no known trans-feminine saints, it seems the church was rather lax about the masculine side of things, and we're not really sure why. It's possible they were respected for aspiring to the higher social status of men, 
or were secretly adherents to a private cult of Aphrodite that existed within the church at the time. Some real Dan Brown shit, you know? But whatever the reason, some people assigned female at birth frequently presented as men in the Catholic Church, and more than a handful even became saints. So our topic tonight is a bit more broad than usual, as I kind of want to talk about the idea in general of these people, some probably cis, some definitely trans men, and surely some that would be something else to our modern understanding, but people who, in a particularly dangerous place for queer folks, manage not only to survive, but become hugely respected in their chosen field. Also a note, it's very difficult to assign pronouns to these historical figures as we have no idea what they would have chosen. For the purposes of this podcast, I will do my best, and in cases where I just don't know, I use they-them. Not a perfect solution by any means, and I know that it can be problematic, so if anyone has a better idea for the future, please let me know. Let's start with Anastasia the Patrician. So Anastasia lived in the 6th century CE and was a lady-in-waiting to Theodora, the Byzantine empress married to Justinian I. It's believed that Justinian was into them, so they fled the place and moved to Alexandria to live in solitude. Justinian found them, however, and they were forced to move again. Many people of all genders, I'm sure, are familiar with the man who simply won't leave them alone, but since Anastasia couldn't just simply block him on Twitter, a different solution presented itself. They moved into the middle of the desert, in a monastic cell 18 miles away from the nearest settlement. They lived as a monk, shaving their head and dressing as a man, and lived alone for the next 28 years. And while some can see this as a desperate tale of a woman willing to do anything to escape the all-powerful man pursuing her, it's also possible this was the only way this person could live as themselves in a time when it seemed impossible. As will become a common refrain on this show, we just don't know. We never will. But the fact that the Catholic Church knew this in a time when it was considered a sin for women to shave their head and it was illegal for women to live as monks, they canonized Anastasia anyway. It's possible to see a happy ending if you squint. There's also the story of St. Joseph, who was a 12th century monk born as Hildegund, who, as the story goes, was disguised by his father as a boy to protect him from bandits. His father was murdered, and he sought refuge in a monastery where he joined the order and lived the rest of his life as a man, only to be discovered at death that he was AFAB. It bears mentioning that even though many of these saints were discovered after death, it takes decades after death to be recognized as a saint by the Catholic Church, so there is no instance where one of these people were canonized before discovery. A much sadder tale is that of Eugenia of Rome, a martyr of the 3rd century when the current emperor was still beheading Christians. He became a Christian and fled his home, dressed as a man, essentially for protection, but for some reason continued to live that way even once he was relatively safe. He became an abbot, and one day a woman came on to him. After he escaped her, she claimed that he had raped her. He went before a judge, who turned out to be, plot twist, his own father. After revealing that he was not capable of raping the woman, at least not in the way she claimed, he was released and even converted his father to Christianity. Unfortunately, they were all beheaded by Emperor Valerian for this, but his father accepted him, which I think is nice. Euphosyne was another similar story, where he escaped an unwelcome marriage disguised as a man and lived 38 years as a monk, even consoling his own father on the loss of his daughter. When he revealed his identity to him just a year before his own death, he was also accepted by his father, who even became a monk himself and moved into his son's old cell. There's a similar story from about 200 years after this, in St. Marinus, another AFAB person who lived as a monk. 
While traveling with some of his brothers, they stayed at an inn. A soldier there seduced the innkeeper's daughter, and they had sex. The soldier told her that if she became pregnant, to blame the monk Marinus. This happened, of course, but the difference between this and the previous story was that when the abbot told Marinus of the child, he didn't disclose his trans status. He left the monastery and lived as a beggar for years. The innkeeper gave Marinus the child, who he raised for 10 years, supposedly feeding the baby sheep's milk directly from the source. Eventually, they were allowed back into the monastery. When he died, it was discovered that he had a secret. One of the men who washed the body was cured of blindness. The innkeeper wept over him and rent his garments in regret. A surprising amount of empathy for someone who the Bible would certainly class as an abomination. Reading accounts of these saints' lives, while embellished and full of legends and lies, are also full of empathy, which is surprising for such a brutal time. My idea is that it was piousness that inspired empathy in these people, and the strength of one's faith is ascribed as the reason someone like Marinus withstood such horrible treatment and injustice. But isn't it also possible he was simply willing to undergo any hardship to continue living as his true self? His body is kept at St. Mary Coptic Church in the Roman Quarter in Cairo, and the claim is that the body has not decomposed. And there were many others, about which even less is known. I find it fascinating, however, that when Catholic law was explicitly against them, they were able to live their lives while not devoid of pain and suffering, at least in some part, as themselves. Now, some of you might be saying, Katie, these weren't trans men. They were just women who were under extraordinary circumstances and found a way to live. And I'm sure that's true for one, maybe a few of these people. And the concept of being transgender was beyond the understanding of these people, especially in Christianity at the time. But what I'm about to say is not very historian of me, but I'm not a real historian. I'm a podcaster, so eat this. So maybe they didn't understand what they were doing, but I strongly believe that they felt it. Some of these people were men or transmasculine people. They knew that when they lived as men, the buzzing stopped. Somehow, and while they may not have had access to tea or anything else, we all know that doesn't make them any less trans than anyone else, right? And I'm struck by the vigilance of them, not to mention their success. They were able to ascend in one of the most transphobic institutions in history, and they're still recognized. There's icons and statues, feast days and prayers. They are acknowledged, which is a hell of a lot more than can be said about almost any other openly queer people living under Christianity throughout most of history. And that's why these sweet boys, and probably girls and others, are part of a very sacred history. Thanks for listening. I'm Katie Coleman. As always, I've included a list of sources in the show notes, but they are not formatted in any particular style because I'm not in college anymore and I'm tired. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, you can find me on Twitter at Katie of the Lake or email me at totallytransha at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we've always been here. And most importantly, we always will be. This is our pilot season. For four weeks, we've got new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you all like it, we'll make it a permanent edition. Coming up on Monday, we've got another Totally Trans mini-sode with Henry. Then on Wednesday, Ada Rhodes and Jack talk comics on transmissions from another Earth. And next Friday, I'll be back here again with another short story from our sacred history. We really appreciate your support as we grow this podcast network and hope to create and foster the community we have here. You can support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, or whichever apps are doing reviews these days. You can also support us on Patreon.com slash Totally Trans, 
where you can get access to episodes early, bonus episodes once a month, and an invite to our Discord, which isn't turning into the party hangout we had hoped, but you can change all that very soon. Also, the day I'm recording this is the same day Greg Abbott released his letter declaring war on trans kids in Texas. I hope you've heard about it, and I hope you're doing something to help. Our podcast network is donating our current month of ad cells and Patreon to TENT, the Transgender Education Network of Texas. You can find them at transtexas.org, and I hope you'll join us. We will be discussing more ways to help, and we'll let you know through social media as soon as we can. This is a targeted assault, but we are not powerless. Do you know what time it is? Do I know what time it is? It's 1019. No, ad break time. <laughs> NerdyCuppy.com Quality Queerwear is a trans-owned and operated family apparel and accessory business in Portland, Oregon. As their name implies, they can drape you in affordable gender-affirming fashion from head to toe, and even offer a selection of home goods besides. So whether you're in the market for a dapper button-down or a dress with pockets, Nerdy Cuppy will literally have you covered. You can get 10% off your order at checkout with the discount code TOTALLYTRANS, all one word. So remember, visit nerdykeppy.com, that's N-E-R-D-Y-K-E-P-P-I-E.com, or use the easier to remember, it has pockets.gay. Use discount code TOTALLYTRANS for 10% off at checkout. And thanks again for listening. We have a Patreon and if you back us at patreon.com backslash totally trans at $5 or more, not only can you join our amazing new Discord server and join in the conversation and uh, send us messages, hmm. but you also get thanked on this show right now. Uh, this week we have one more backer at $5. And it is, I'm going to destroy your name. I'm so sorry. Amanda Roan Idange in Amanda. Rern in Darnge. I think it's, is it Swedish? Maybe. We don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so sorry Tell that us. we're as American as we are. <laughs> I am Canadian. So okay. I, I, but you I, can't I, pronounce it either. <laughs> no, not at all. I poorly speak three languages. <laughs> but anyway, Amanda, we appreciate you as much as we appreciate dog. 10 out of 10. No notes. We also have some cool shirts and stuff on TeePublic and Redbubble. And because we live in a capitalist hellscape, uh, we're also searching for sponsors. So if you want to sponsor us, you should let us know because we would absolutely love to work with you instead of just like companies who want to sell mattresses and meal kits and stuff. Yeah, we can. I'm not going to say their name, but we can start advertising for uh, grocery deliverers service a grocery delivery service and we aren't sure we want to do that because we'd much rather be collaborating with queer owned businesses so so yeah yeah collaborate with us please free us from the shackles of this hellscape <laughs>